Welcome to Don't Trust the Mirror, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder, with psychoanalyst Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Maureen shares her personal journey of her struggles with an eating disorder and how that changed her life. Listen as Maureen shares her pain, her stories, and her triumphs. Today, as a psychoanalyst, her mission is to help as many women as possible overcome their challenges. Now, my secret life with an eating disorder. Hi, this is Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. Welcome to my podcast, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder. Once again, I have a great guest. She was previously on talking about the myths of eating disorders. Welcome, Nancy. Oh, thank you, Maureen. It's great to be back. Um, I'm so happy to be here again. I'm glad you could come back. Mm -hmm. So Nancy Graham is a professional relations representative for the Renfrew Center of Northern New Jersey, located in Paramus. She has many years of experience as a mental health professional and a clinician, both in New York City and in New Jersey. The Renfrew Center, she joined in 2001, and she has done many, many, many programs to all kinds of people, educators, parents, students, healthcare professionals, community organizations, talking about eating disorders. And Nancy's always my go-to person whenever I need help with finding out about treatment, talking about eating disorders. And today we are talking about the different levels of care involved in eating disorders. I thought this was a very important topic. And in our last podcast about the myths of eating disorders, we did not nearly have enough time to conquer this subject. So I thought it really deserved a separate podcast. Where do we start, Nancy? Because there's so much to talk about. And I think, let me just say that people struggling with eating disorders, families, individuals, it is very confusing and a very overwhelming topic as far as where do they go? How do they decide what care they need? What's too much? What's too little? What's involved in it? So I'm going to let you take it away to talk about the different levels of care for eating disorders treatment. Hey, well, thanks, Maureen. Yes, it can be very confusing. Um, even the terminology that people use for some of the different levels of care um, are interchangeable, but if you don't know that, it, it can make it even more confusing. So um, as um, as you know, Maureen, uh, at the Renfrew Center, we do provide um, all of the different levels of care, um, the higher levels of care. Um, and I'll explain what that means in a minute. Um, the the highest level of care, actually, that we don't, and we don't do that at Renfrew, but that's really um, what we would call inpatient. And inpatient care um, pretty much is known as something that you, you would need to go into a hospital. It's really when there's a lot of medical complications that can arise from an eating disorder. And so there's um, a lot of medical monitoring. Someone is really uh, acute when they need to have inpatient care. Um, Just to mention some of the, just quickly, some of the medical issues that people can have. Uh, just sure. 
Sure. Yeah. Oh, well, there's just a wide, a, a wide array. There's a lot of gastrointestinal problems. Uh, there can be um, heart issues, uh, low heart rate, um, uh, an increased heart rate. Um, there, there's just uh, eating disorders can affect really any any of your organs in your body, um, and so for each person it can be really different. There's all kinds of the, we do do a lot of blood work with someone who may have an eating disorder. Um, I think the the main one that we're always looking for are the heart issues um, that there may be um, issues that really need to be obviously monitored in a hospital setting to make sure that someone is medically stable. Um, but the gastrointestinal problems can be there. Um, as I said, it can really affect every organ in your body. And those are the ones that we look for the most. Um, also, one thing that can happen um, with someone with diabetes also, um, there can if someone has diabetes, the uh, their insulin levels, they those could be affected by not eating properly, um, which we know for someone who doesn't have an eating disorder is something we need to monitor quite closely. So um, that would be really important to know also. And I think one of the things to note is that you can't really even begin to do therapy unless somebody is medically stable. So I know when anybody comes to see me, that's the first place I go is have they seen a doctor and are they medically stable in order to do the therapy? Absolutely. And and that's why we do check things regularly, the vital signs. We do uh, we do, do that blood work. We need to make sure, you know, the lab findings to see. Now, that does, what we do find, though, is that if someone has been struggling for a long time, it's, it's amazing that sometimes things don't show up um, in the blood work, which can be you know, tricky. And, you know, so we don't always, you know, we may know that they're struggling and we, if something doesn't show up, we still might be a little concerned because um, we do need to look at all of that. Um, so, yeah, so that would be for someone who, who is really not medically stable. Um, they would need to really be hospitalized in what we would call an inpatient. Preferably, we would want someone to be in a hospital that has an eating disorder inpatient unit. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of those available. Um, just, uh, But even stabilizing someone medically in a regular hospital unit uh, may be necessary. Uh, but if at all possible, we would really want someone to be in a in a met in an eating disorder unit uh, where they could also start to get some of the eating disorder treatment that they're they're going to need. Um, but unfortunately, then you you wouldn't stay for very long in that because we know that hospitals don't you know you can't stay for as long as you might need to. Um, insurance might let not let you, or other things may come up. So, uh, but that's the highest level of care. So when someone, uh, the next lower level, the next level is what we would call a residential uh, residential treatment. Uh, that's also sometimes called partial hospitalization. Um, those terms are fairly interchangeable. And That's our that too, which is um, is it in, it's an IOP IOP or because I know you PHP. We call that PHP, okay. right? Partial okay. hospitalization program. Okay. Around a lot, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, residential treatment. It's really you know the, again those two are interchangeable. Um, that's really where the patient is medically stable. 
but they do, and they don't really inquire uh, require a medical intervention. There may be medical monitoring. I know when someone's in our residential department, we do have 24-hour nursing care. So they do get medical monitoring because sometimes, you know, they're, we really want to make sure that they're, you know, that that's obviously the priority, that they're medically stable. And that can change very quickly. Um, so we do monitor that closely, but usually they don't require anything uh, extensive at that point. So and that- so... Okay. I was going to just ask, and, and you might be getting to this too, is how does somebody qualify? Mm-hmm. What makes somebody qualify for residential care? Right, right. Well, there's criteria to for each level of care. And that can be really tricky because it's not black and white. It's not like every patient's going to have A, B, C, and D. So there are certain criteria. And a lot of that um, is determined at the time of an uh, of an assessment. When someone is coming to uh, to to us at Renfrew, we do a full assessment and we ha- we look for certain criteria. So for um, for residential, what we look for is obviously the diagnosis of an eating disorder. They have to be medically cleared to participate in the program to make sure that they're stable. There's also a willingness to attempt to comply with the nutritional program. You know, those that's kind of vague because, you know, most treatment facilities, I think all of them really that are not in a hospital are voluntary. So there needs to really be some level of participation agreement. Um, also willing to be able to enter the program voluntarily. That's important. And able to engage in um, in some type of safety uh, regarding any dangerous behaviors um, and any you know impulses that they may be having, like what, like what would those? Well, suicidal impulses, um, the impulse to restrict, uh, which that will certainly take a while, probably for that to change, but a willingness, at least on some level, in the beginning to try to change that behavior. Um, you know, and again, that's that's not always, you know, when someone needs residential, sometimes that, that may take a little bit of time. Um, but we are looking for that. Then there's a whole list of other things that, you know, um, we're looking for, but not everyone may fit into that category. So we have to look at the overall picture um, for every patient when we try to determine the level of care. Uh, It's all kind of thing. Exactly. No, very individualized um, because each patient is so individual. So it's really looking at the general piece. Um, Some of the things we look for also are the presence of some coexisting conditions, some other diagnosis that may be affecting them. Um, Sometimes there may be some um, substance use. Uh, that may be coinciding with the eating disorder or, you know, it goes hand in hand at times. Um, some degree of denial. Usually there's quite a bit of denial um, with someone. Um, and that, and usually at that point, they're nutritionally unstable. Um, and they really are not able to change that on their own. They really need a high level of intervention and supervision to really monitor their nutritional um, health. So again, it's looking at really a large picture. I mean, we do look at um, ideal body weights and BMIs, but we don't look at those as much as we used to because they're really at all that. 
Yeah, there there is, and they're not really all that accurate because again, every person's BMI or you know um, IBW, you know, what does that even mean? Everyone's different physically, uh, genetically, and I think in the past we put probably too much emphasis on that, um, and so we look more at the history of uh, of weight as opposed, you know, at how quickly. Uh, weight has changed, whether it's increase or decrease, but also not just that piece, but what caused that? Was it intentional? Um, and that's where the medical piece comes in, ruling out medical problems, making sure that um, it's not because of that. Um, and looking at the emotional piece, that's really the piece that we have to look at. What was going on? Um, was it connected to that emotional dysregulation piece that is really what what is causing the eating disorder behavior. So that's why an assessment for any level of care is really important because you have to look at so many things. Well, it's very complicated and there's so many different levels to it and layers to it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what what is residential treatment? Like what do people do in residential treatment? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, residential treatment is um, where someone would live there. Um, the average length of stay, I know that people always ask that. And again, that's very individualized. We, It's not, um, I mean, I think some treatments in the past have been, you know, like 28 days, for example. You know, you go into treatment, I think substance use treatment, for example. I'm not sure if it's still like that, but um, that's not what it's like for, uh, you know, for the residential care at Renfrew. It's really about um, what meets the individual's need again. So it uh, they, when they're in there, it's pretty much groups, um, you know, from the, from morning till night, although there's individual meetings with uh, dietitians, there's a whole team of professionals that you work with too. That team approach is important. So there's um, not only therapists that run the groups, but there's dietitians who do all the nutritional piece and monitor the meals. Uh, there's the psychiatric piece. Uh, there's the medical piece, you know, for patients who uh, we need to be sure are medically stable, the nursing piece. So it's a whole team of professionals that will be working with that patient on their treatment plan. Um, we have different tracks in, in, uh, for our treatment in residential, which is wonderful. We have the adolescent track. We have 30-something and beyond programming. We have trauma track. We have um, a special program for those struggling with diabetes because that can be extremely difficult. Uh, so all of those pieces are really individualized to each patient, depending on what their needs are. Substance use track also we have because we're, there's a co high comorbidity rate for that. Um, so there will be groups and each patient will be in those groups that meet their needs. They each will work with their uh, case manager to choose the, the groups that would suit what they need. And that can change. Uh, there's uh, the meals obviously are a very important time and we do have uh, we there's different ways that they work on their nutrition planning with our dietitians and different levels um, so all of that is is all what would what they would be participating in throughout the day um, as well as a lot of family work you know I was ask about the family work yeah right families are brought in when when they're close enough um, or they're um, video conferenced in. 
Uh, very important to include families or loved ones around the treatment for our patients because they're such an integral part of, of the recovery. Um, so that's included. Uh, we do have a lot of experiential things also because the mind-body uh, work is very important. Um, we have healing gardens and we have uh, we have a um, a wonderful um, not it's not called a maze, but where you know the patients can walk outside when the weather's nice. Um, we do a lot of uh, yoga, a lot of movement, gentle movement, just really helping patients with that piece also. Also, you have a great art therapy program, too. Absolutely. And there's so oh much wonderful art that comes out of Renfrew, too. So yes. Oh, yes. We oh, great, great. Oh, we have a wonderful art calendar every year that, that we put out. With, I mean, it's a very important piece to the recovery for patients to really learn to express what's really happening with them and that can be a wonderful way to for them to do that and it's very powerful so yeah thank you for for bringing that up it is really amazing very powerful and you don't always have the words but there's so many ways to express feeling through your body through art through movement memory shelter recovery as well right right and and as i said it's individualized like we're really not everyone enjoys art, but it's not about being good at art, as we know. But if they're not comfortable with that, we'll try to help them find other ways to experience that. You know, it's not, again, it, uh, we have we have over 150 groups, I believe, wow. every week. Wow. Um, well, yeah. So, uh, you know, every patient might have a whole different schedule. You know, they don't have the same schedules uh, because an adolescent, for example, will have specific groups to their, you know, their age group, whereas the 30-something and beyond group would have different groups. So um, it, it really changes and it just offers that opportunity to really have that individualized treatment, which I think is so important. I know sometimes I get questions like somebody who's 40 or 50, however old, and, and they'll say, well, I don't, I can't imagine being in a group with 20 year olds because I can't even relate and they can't relate to me. And so that's sometimes a fear. So it's nice to know that the groups are very individualized for age, for ignition. Well, one other question about residential, how much individual therapy does somebody get in residential treatment? Right. Right. They do get individual therapy. Um, it's uh, They do have clinicians that work with them. And even that does vary because everyone, you know, they'll have time to meet with their clinician. They do definitely meet with the dietitian who is, a, you know, who, who works with them to work around their meal planning. The psychiatric piece is definitely there. Everyone needs different things. So we really look to what they need because not everyone will need medication. Some will. The medication is really used uh, as a way for um, for the depression or the anxiety or the, you know, the coexisting things that might be, they may be struggling with. Uh, but not everyone does. Certainly that's, you know, we, we not everyone needs to be on that medication, but someone who is would meet obviously with the psychiatrist or the nurse practitioner uh, individually. So that's all worked into the schedule um, as much as possible. We, uh, you know, our goal is to get the patients back out into the real world as quickly as possible, but not too quickly because we know that we don't want to rush that either. Uh, but it's not a long-term relationship, the individual piece. We find that the group work, I think uh, it 
that at that level of care can be very effective for the patients. But since it's not long term, we you know would certainly want them to get involved with that after. Many of our patients come with with clinicians and a team in place, and and they would return to them. But if not, we'll help set that up with them because that work will continue and be long term. So so yeah, so they do do the individual, but it's not you know it, it's really much much different than it would look on you know out in the once they're discharged. That's good to know. So how does somebody transition from the residential? What's the next? Right, whether up or down, whatever. Um. And what we call that is there's the whole continuum of care. You know, that's the term we use, that we provide the whole continuum of care uh, in the higher levels of care. So the next would be the day treatment program, the DTP or the, and that's also could be called the partial hospitalization, PHP. That's where you don't actually live there. You, and the times can vary. And I guess the days, for us, it's Monday through Friday. And you're there most of the day. You come in in the morning and you stay for breakfast and through lunch and then into the early after to the afternoon. And you do groups also. It's very similar to the groups that we have in residential, but someone who is in the PHP is much more able to maintain and not they don't need 24-hour supervision so they they're they're much more able to control what's going on they've learned you know their the meals they're starting to really be able to do some of that on their own but they still need a high level of supervision assistance so we do look for that again they're medically stable and they're definitely not a danger uh, you know we certainly a danger to themselves or others um, they're much more compliant. There's no use of substances. They're really compliant, usually with the the absences and attending timeliness. A little bit more willing um, at that point, have more insight into what's happening. Um, and some people, by the way, just I forgot to say this: they don't. Everyone doesn't come in and has to have residential. That's where, you know, some people can start right off in day treatment. Um, they don't need the 24-hour supervision. They're, they're really doing a little bit better, but, but yet they still really need to sort of be there for long periods of time with supervision from staff and support. That's important, too, the support. Well, that's why the assessment is so important, to, to help somebody decide what level of treatment that they, they have. So right. when somebody's in the, the day treatment program, Mm-hmm. Can we start to see there if they have an individual therapist? Mm-hmm. If they started with somebody initially before they went into the program, can they also see their individual therapist while they're also in the day program? Right. That a lot of that, and and we work very closely with the team in the community. If if someone does come in and they have a team, we will collaborate with them because we know that that they'll be going back to that that team. A lot of that depends on insurance. And if you're if you are seeing your clinicians and they're getting paid through your insurance plans, each insurance is different and how that works. So that really has to be determined. But um, we will collaborate either way, you know, with the clinicians in the community and and each clinician is different also in terms of what they're interested in. Many of them are are okay, you know, once when the patients are with us, but once they're getting close to coming back, may want to have more consultation so that they can continue. Uh, and that consistency is very important for the patients. 
So again, we know it's not long term. So, you know, we we will provide what they need for us. But the goal is to get them back out as as quickly as we can. Um, so so they're for, you know, for the day treatment, we're really making sure that they're not at risk. Um, and we assess that every day in the program, too. And, and that's where the movement up and down, what we call the continuum can occur, too, because at the assessment, you know, we make that decision and we make that recommendation and, you know, the patient may start, but we may find that we didn't have all the information or that the patient was struggling more than we thought they were or um, or maybe they were doing better than we thought. So that can change too. I mean, we, at, we can move someone um, up and down, you know, we can really assess and say, well, you're doing really well very quickly, so you can, you know, go to a lower level. You don't have to stay as long as someone who might be struggling longer. The opposite is also true, where sometimes someone, even after a few weeks in what in the day treatment, for example, they may still be struggling. So we may have to recommend that, you know, we really feel it might be best for you to go to residential, just because that way you can get much more, um, much more supervision and and assistance with what's what's happening for you. So, well, it's not a linear process at all. No, not at all. Not I, at all. Well, and sometimes, and you could start off five days a week and then go down to mm-hmm. two days a week, right. two days a week. So it really provides a safety net as you are transitioning back into the world, into your family, into. Mm-hmm. Your daily life, whether it's work or school, with the social life, and right. being able to kind of go back and have the um, the reinforcement and the support of a of more of a, of a program, mm-hmm. right? So, so then the other the, the lowest level that we do provide, um, you know, in res in uh, at Renfrew is the IOP, the intensive outpatient program, and that is either three evenings a week or in the we also have some programming during the day, but it's only a half a day. So it would be three half days. And so that's really for uh, when the patient's really stable and really doesn't need medical monitoring on a daily basis. And they're psychiatrically stable. The symptoms are um, sufficiently being controlled. They can really start to begin to function normally, socially, um, educationally. We look at all that, vocationally, um, and really are continuing to make progress. So they're really out in the world. They're not with us every day. And they can start to do their own meal planning on the days they're not with us and see how that goes. But then they can check back in and really be with us. So as you said, it's really sort of the gradual returning and really testing what they've learned um, and really doing what they've learned because you need to practice with that and see how that and and even with that you know sometimes what we find especially with that level of care what can be very difficult is the weekends because you know you might be with us you know Mondays Wednesdays and Thursdays but then you might have a long weekend and then you come back on Monday and say you know I was really struggling and but that's okay because we you know that's where we can say okay well let's talk about that and let's see how we can help you so that maybe next weekend will be easier we can put some some help in place or some ideas in place for you so you're still getting that higher level of supervision but yet you're gradually out there practicing and and learning and getting re you know reconnected to the world without having to be in treatment Right. And you're learning more about how to handle situations as well, again, with the support and the, the reinforcement and able to have a safe place to go back to. Right. 
Right, right, right. And then from there, you would um, go back to the team, your team, hopefully a team in the community or whatever team you needed in the community, um, you know, that you choose to work with and that we would, you know, help you with. And another thing that's really important that is not on this whole list of continuum of care, but we find very important is the alumni services, the support that people need uh, after they leave treatment that can be invaluable. You know, that support from others who have experienced what they've been through and, and really can help to support each other in that recovery that we know certainly takes a longer time than the time you're in treatment. Uh, So we do provide that. And I think that's really important, that support for folks. It is really important. And it's important that because I think at that point, people can do it in a a healthy way. I, I talked about in my story at some point, when I went to a group, it was more of a how to group in terms of learning how to be a better, better with my eating disorder. And so I think to have people who are supportive, who have been through the program, who can really provide a lot of positive reinforcement and self-care, because I think one of the important things that they learn is is self-care through the program and, and not to use their eating disorder to try to take care of themselves because that doesn't work so well, but to really learn different ways to cope with feelings and caring for themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. The other thing I want to mention, because we are doing this podcast in April and school will be ending soon and college kids will be coming home soon, is that you also have a program for college students because that's also a separate population. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, we do. We have lots of different programs for college students now, Um, a lot of virtual programming, to provide programming for them while they are at school if they're away. But we always encourage them over the summer when they do come home to if, you know, if they've been in treatment and they just need some help sort of getting back to, you know, the the stress of being at school and, and all the changes that occur can be very difficult. So oftentimes uh, we do get our patients come back to us um, and return during the summer just sort of uh, as a way to get back to, you know, what they need to do, as you, as you mentioned, for self-care. Uh, so we do provide um, programming during the summer for college students. We do have at some of our locations some specific groups if we have enough college students there. Um, and if we do have enough in the program at one time, we will do what we call breakout groups where, um, and we'll do this for anything, not just for college students, uh, for any group that identifies that that can connect, that they can have their own topics to discuss. So they have specific issues that they're struggling with. We will definitely encourage them to talk about that. And and the challenges of, for example, eating in a cafeteria when you're away yeah. at college, yeah. you know how hard that can be. And, and their issues are very separate and very different. Um, So really focusing on specific groups is really important. And we know that eating disorders are so prevalent amongst college students. So we do focus a lot on that. And um, we actually do have a program in our Florida Coconut Creek site specifically for college students in residential. So, um, yeah, if there's, you know, ever anyone wants to know more about that, they can check the Renfrew website or reach out to me. But um, yeah, it is, it's, we do get a lot of college students coming back. It's good to know. A couple more questions before we end. Mm-hmm. 
One is what about boys, men, males who are struggling with eating disorders? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How does it work for them? And, and can they find the same care that that girls, women, females? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are definitely lots of uh, facilities that do tra- treat men. Um, I don't, I'm not all that familiar with, with their programming. I know that for many of their issues, uh, the programming can really be the same. But I, um, I, I would assume and hope that as we talked about, even with women of different ages and different issues and that they're experiencing, men certainly have their own unique set of of issues that they're struggling with. So uh, groups that can really focus on that for them would be really important. I, I, I think they probably have a hard time finding those things at this point. Um, as we know, even women sometimes struggle depending on, you know, where they live and what's available. One of the benefits of all the virtual program that is out there now, I think it is more accessible. So that that's a good thing. Yeah. So hopefully they they can find there are some facilities that do provide treatment for for men. Great. Great. The last the last question is and it's a big one for people, which is the whole financial piece. And I know you alluded to insurance. Does you know particularly Renfrew will just say provide help with insurance and navigating the financial piece of it all because that can be so daunting and such a crucial part of getting treatment. It sure is. It's quite a barrier, um, um, as it is with any you know any issues, especially mental health issues uh, in our country. When we, when someone comes to us for an assessment, we that is one of the first things we help them with. We will do all of that. We will check the insurance. We will check what their benefits are. We do work with all major insurance, so we do look into that. We will tell them right up front, um, you know, what we have found out from the insurance company, which sometimes can change, but we certainly do our best to, to negotiate that and navigate that. What we also do for the patients is we, once they're in care with us, we do, we get all the, we take care of all the insurance piece. So it's complicated, but what insurance will do is they will approve. And and the levels of care really are dependent on that too. It's, again, that's another piece where the insurance company has to approve the, the specific level of care. So we may, you know, do an assessment and know or feel that, this specific level of care and the insurance company may challenge that. Um, and that can be really frustrating because they may say, well, you know, we don't really agree with that. So we would like the patient to start in um, usually a lower level of care. Um, and it can be really frustrating. We will do our best to advocate for our for our patients. It's so important because patients, it, it's it's hard enough to figure out insurance without having to fight for those things, especially when you're struggling um, with an eating disorder and the families can get really overwhelmed. So we will do all of that and try our best to get what the patient needs. Um, and you know we're quite successful, not always. Um, that is the biggest frustration and why the lengths of stays are not as long as they, what we, I think anyone in the field agrees they should be much longer. We would love it if patients could stay a little bit longer, but if the insurance refuses to pay, unless the family is able to pay for it, the patient may may have to be discharged. And that's so frustrating. 
That's a big part of it. it. You know, unfortunately, fortunately, but it's it's really such a such a big thing to negotiate, and again, can be so overwhelming. Oh, absolutely, for families and individuals who are really seeking out treatment. And that's why we have a whole department that just does that uh, and checks that and tell, you know, tries, does our best. And then once the patient's with us, um, at least in the day treatment and the IOP, uh, the lower levels, get, uh, the, the, for their case manager clinician who works with that patient will be the one to advocate for them with the insurance company because they know them the best and they will be the ones that will get on the phone and say, listen, here's what we're recommending and request this. It's not always what we'll get, but we will definitely um, do that. The family, the family may have to start to advocate somewhat, but we are the ones that will do that because it's really important that we make a case to get what these patients need. Well, that's good to know. Thank you, Nancy, for helping us untangle all the, these complications of the different levels of eating disorder treatment because it can be just so confusing. And people don't know where to start and they don't quite understand what's involved. So you are really helpful in helping my listeners try to understand what's involved in all these many, many levels of treatment. I will just say at the end then, then people can go back to individual treatment, um, outpatient treatment, where they see their individual therapist. And that can be, again, depending on financial needs. And, and also what they emotionally need and if they can be aligned to see their individual therapist can be multiple times a week, one time a week to go to every other week, depending on, again, in their, in their recovery. Right. And, and that's the same with a, a dietitian. Um, you know, um, it's obviously uh, it's better if someone can see both. Um, not everyone to what we say, right? Yeah, right, right. So, and every, you know, not everyone does need to do that for a long period of time. Everyone again, progresses at a different level, the psychiatric piece for medication. So all of that really, and we help to coordinate that. And, but again, it's individualized. So, you know, really every patient will find what hopefully works best for them and be able to get those services once they, you know, once they're discharged. Great, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on my podcast again. And we'll just mention that Redford also has a podcast too. They talk about different. Do. Yes. Yes, we do. Yes, absolutely. We do. So, um, yeah. So um, I don't have the specific information, but everything is on our, our website, our RedfordCenter.com uh, rent, uh, website. And yes, definitely we do. We speak to lots of different different people. So we'd love to have you tune into that too. Yes, I would love to tune in and I would love to, to also um, offer my help and uh, guidance and advice. And because I think the more that we all speak out and the more we try to educate people and give people information and help them think about themselves and their bodies and their relationship with food, I think the better it is for everybody. Right. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you, Maureen, and we're going to do our best to get you uh, get you on our podcast, too. So thank you. Thank you. Great. Again, just happy to get out the word. I know. I know. That's really the that's really all we, you know, or not all really wonderful if we can continue to do that because together. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, thanks again, Nancy. 
And I'm sure we're going to have many more things to talk about along the show. And <laughs> come back and join me because I will I enjoy. Mm-hmm. I enjoy your friendship. I enjoy talking with you. I enjoy all that you offer professionally. And it's a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you so much, Maureen. I'm so happy to be here again and look forward to our next our next uh, time that we can do this again. Yes, great. Thank you for listening to my secret life with an eating disorder. Remember, trust yourself. Don't trust the mirror. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Don't Trust the Mirror, My Secret Life with an Eating Disorder with psychoanalyst Maureen Kritzer-Lang, the queen of self-esteem. We hope you enjoyed it. Please visit DontTrustTheMirror.com where you'll find all our social networking links and can post your stories, comments, and questions. Until next time, remember, trust yourself. Don't trust the mirror.